next to The Office, uh, Parks and Rec is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And Andy Dwyer, played in this scene by Chris Pratt, uh, is probably one of my favorite TV characters of all time. He's funny, and he is honest, and he has the heart the size of a mountain. And one time I was sitting around a campfire with um, my buddy Yarky, who was over here leading worship today, and his wife Kaylee, and I told him that he reminded me of Chris Pratt. But he, got, he, he, he smiled and he, he said, well, that's a really big compliment because uh, Chris Pratt was really jacked in Jurassic Park. And I had to tell him, no, not Jurassic Park Chris Pratt, Parks and Rec Chris Pratt. <laughs> He was a little bit offended uh, because sometimes our perception of ourselves doesn't match the perception that other people have of us. Uh, I remember in 2006, I had my very first shift as a firefighter EMT. I had the jacket and I had the firefighter sticker on my 2003 Sunfire car and I had the swagger. Uh, I was cool, okay? I'm telling you, I was cool. And uh, the morning of my first shift, I was walking up to the fire hall where everyone could see me through the front window. And uh, they saw me kind of walking on up like this cool kid, 19-year-old kid, you know, thinking he's uh, the, the best next thing. And apparently one of the nurses in the room said, now who's this little skipper? For the next 12 years, I was little skipper at the fire hall. Uh, it was shameful. Over the radio, they would call me little skipper. Uh, we would be in the back of the ambulance, and they say, well, little skipper is going to take care of you now, which, let me tell you, is, does not instill confidence in a patient. Little skipper. <clears throat> Sometimes our perceptions of ourselves isn't exactly the way people perceive us. Uh, it takes work to affect what people think of you. And you can get labeled as something, and that label can be really sticky. And Jesus was a good guy, but he knew all about getting labeled. Uh, in, his dis in his day, he accumulated a few nasty labels. They called him a drunk. They called him a glutton. They called him insane. Uh, they called him a heretic. And people even said that he was demon-possessed. He had all kinds of labels. And on the night before he would be killed, he sat with his closest friends. And he knew that his time with them uh, was coming to an end. That he was going to be arrested and beaten and killed. He knew that after his death, it would be this group of people that he was sitting with that night that would carry on his message. It would be that group of people, the disciples, who would become his church. And throughout his life, Jesus taught on a range of subjects, everything from marriage and divorce, generosity, jealousy, humility, uh, everything in between, a whole bunch of stuff. But in his last moment in the garden with his best friends, he did something to simplify all of that, to boil it all down into one simple idea, something they couldn't forget, something that they couldn't get wrong. And the most important thing for them to remember that they would have to pass on to generations and generations of Jesus followers. And he told them this, 
A new command I give you. Love one another. Pretty simple. Everything he said, all his sermons, all his parables, all of his instructions summed up in three words. Love one another. And then he went on to say to them, he said, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you love one another, everyone will know what your life is about. If you love one another, everyone will know you are a Jesus follower. If you love one another, then that will become your label, the thing that you are known by. At the center of this Christian faith is love. And so let me ask you a tough question, one that I wrestle with often, one that makes me uncomfortable. See, we are almost 2,000 years out from the night that Jesus said those words. So when people think about church, when people think about Christians, is love the first thing that comes to mind? Do they see the way we treat each other and say that love is our label? When they look at us, do they see Jesus? I think in many cases, the answer is no. Often, Christians are more likely to be labeled with words like hypocrite, judgmental, and intolerant. You've maybe heard it after inviting someone to church. We put it on Facebook this this week when, when people will say, I'd go to church, but I'd probably burst into flames at the front door. There's this expectation of judgment. And it breaks my heart that people fear exploring their faith because of what they think Christians will do to them. That they may never experience what life can be like following Jesus because their fear of what happens in church. Jesus said they will know we are his followers by the way we love one another. But I'm concerned that people might know we are his followers because of the way we judge each other. So the question, how do we change that? How do we break free from this perception that Christians are judgmental jerks who think they know better than everyone else? How do we become known for our love of one another more than we're known for our condemnation of one another? Jesus preached one of the greatest sermons ever recorded on a hill just outside the city of Capernaum. Today we call it the Sermon on the Mount because he preached on a hill. So the title is descriptive and not very creative. We have a record of this sermon because Matthew, who was there with Jesus uh, to hear it, he wrote it down for us. And if you want to read it for yourself, it's in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. It's a long sermon, longer than today's. Um, But um, if you want to read it yourself, you can go there and read it. Jesus covers a lot of ground in this particular message. He talks about murder. And he talks about adultery. Uh, He talks about jealousy and anxiety. He talks about giving to the poor. And he talks about materialism. He talks about all sorts of things. It's all there. Today, though, we're just going to focus on a small little six-verse part of his sermon. Six short verses where he addresses those who choose to judge others. He takes a moment to address the people on the hillside who look at other people's lives and judge them. 
And if you're like me, you have maybe been at some point in your life listening to someone preach and they say something really good and convicting. And if you were like me, you may have the thought, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to, to hear that, right? They really need to change their life. They really need to hear this message. Instead of hearing the words for ourselves, sometimes we hear them for other people. And I suspect that as Jesus was preaching on the hillside that day, that he may have sensed that some of his listeners were starting to do just that. They were starting to take his words and pass them over to the pew to the person behind them. And so he took a minute to address them head on. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. That'll wake you up. Do not judge or you will be judged. It's very simple. Before getting to this point in his sermon, Jesus had set a seemingly impossible standard for everyone. He said, yeah, murder is bad, but insulting someone is just as bad. Yeah, adultery is bad, but so is entertaining just the thought of it. Yeah, marriage is hard, but divorce needs to be a last resort. You've been blessed with wealth? Give it to the poor. Those who hate you, pray for them. Those who hate you, love them. The standard, all the way up here. And no doubt, some of the people listening to him that day uh, were, knew they were not living up to that tall standard and new people who they were not living up to that standard. No doubt they were hearing the word of Jesus and immediately thinking of somebody else that isn't meeting that standard. And so he stopped and he confronted this dangerous and destructive spirit of condemnation head on. Do not judge. Yes, the standard is up here and you are all the way down here. I don't care. Do not judge. Yes, the ideal is up here, but your real is down here. Do not judge. Jesus is advocating for grace. Now, I've always found negativity to be a bad motivator. Guilt it's a terrible motivator. Sometimes we try to guilt ourselves into doing better, but it doesn't have a very good success rate. Sometimes we try to shame each other into being better, but that doesn't really work very well either. Negativity just breeds more negativity. It may pull you up, make you better for a little while, may help you reach a goal or two, but over the long term, negativity is a bad motivator. It's not sustainable. But you know what are powerful motivators? Hope. Hope is a miraculous motivator. Love is a powerful motivator. Purpose, meaning, community. These are things that pull people upwards. And when we pass judgment on someone, we are pushing them down. We are holding their head under the water. We are trapping them in a box that's labeled sinner, failure, broken. Jesus knew that the ideal was up here but he also knew that our real was down here and he was okay living with the tension of that. It was not lost on him. His goal in telling us the ideal wasn't so that we could look down ourselves and others and wallow in condemnation. He showed us the ideal so that we could look up and aspire to work towards a life full of all of the things he wanted for us. That the goal isn't just to stop sinning, that the goal is to start living. 
He went on, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. That's a serious warning. When we judge others, it doesn't just hurt them. It hurts us. You become callous to the needs of the people who Jesus died to save. You become prideful, considering yourself better than others. You hurt those who you love and wreck relationships that are worth building. Do not judge. One of the shows uh, that I have been watching since I was a kid is Survivor. Now, I'm sure nobody's watching it anymore. 30 seasons later, it's still on TV. But one of my favorite parts of the show is the interviews. Uh, So they always take everybody off by themselves, and they do an interview, and you get to hear what a person's perception of the game is and the perception of themselves. And then the producers are so great on the show, they'll cut straight to a scene of them being wrong. It'll prove that their perception of the game or themselves is wrong. It's my favorite. It's hilarious. Um, If I was on Survivor, uh, I'm pretty sure I'd be voted off the first night. I know exactly how the TV episode would go. They would show me in my one-on-one interview, and I'd say something like, you know, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to meld into the background. Nobody's even going to know my name. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to go with the flow. And then they cut to a scene of me on the beach saying, you do this, you do that, that shelter doesn't work, blah, 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 blah. And it showed me being bossy. Okay? I know this about myself. I'd be gone. It's something I'm working on. Right after, I'm sorry. Right after Jesus warned the people on the hill not to judge others, he challenged them to shift their focus inward. He said this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Jesus is getting a little bit sassy here. He's painting a ridiculous picture to illustrate just how silly it is for us to pass judgment on others. That instead of focusing on their mistakes and unhealthy behaviors that are out of our control, that we should be looking inward on the things that are within our power to change. And I think the key to having healthy relationships is a healthy you. The key to a strong marriage is a strong you. The key to a thriving family is a thriving you. The key to a growing community is a growing you. When you are healthy, your relationships are more likely to be healthy. Any energy invested in analyzing somebody else's mistakes and shortcomings is is energy that could be invested in analyzing and challenging yourself. I think critical and honest self-examination is so vitally important. Self-awareness is difficult, but recognizing the plank in your own eye is the first step to removing it. This is a small example. Last month, I got to kick off this Jesus Stories message series that we are in. And I decided that I was going to preach about uh, the four people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who um, wrote down the stories of Jesus, the Gospels, uh, the life account of Jesus. 
And uh, about halfway through that message, I was preaching, and suddenly I had a thought in my head. Um, I was standing right here, and um, I had this thought that, wow, this is really boring. I mean, it was factual, but it wasn't very engaging. And then while I was preaching, I was standing right here uh, in front of all of you. I had this not-so-great realization in my head that if I was bored, you guys were probably bored too. That week, I took some time to sit down and review how I prepared that message, why I thought it was boring, and uh, I hope that the result will be that I preach better in the future. I, I had to look, examine, figure out my mistakes so that I could preach better in the future. I hope it, it's working. Is it working? Okay. Self-examination is hard. It's uncomfortable. It can sting a little. Acknowledging your mistakes, your weaknesses, and even your sin can be terrifying, but it is the first step in you seeing clearly. It is the first step in removing the plank from your eye. And it is the first step towards living a more full life. So this week, this is an easy challenge that you might want to to, to try. Something practical for you to do. Sit down in your favorite chair or on your deck or in the hammock in the backyard. Turn your phone off. Kind of clear your mind. And ask God to reveal to you something that's holding you back. Maybe it's a behavior. Maybe it's a thought pattern. Maybe it's a weakness. Ask him to show you the plank in your eye. And then ask him to help you to remove it. Ask him to help you to replace that weakness with a strength. You might want to give that a try. Back in March, I attended um, a leadership development course in Orlando. There were about 3,000 people in the room, and all of us were divided into tables of 10. I had a good group of people at my table. I, uh, initially, I liked them all. Um, on the very first day, after only spending a few hours with them, though, uh, the person who was speaking uh, handed out sheets to every table, kind of a voting scoring card, and asked us to assess the other nine people at our table. It was kind of a boat. And so like some of the things on there was like, who's, who at your table is most likely to succeed? Uh, who at your table is more likely to take care of others? Who at your table is bossiest? And so my table submitted its answers and unanimously, after only knowing me a few hours, unanimously voted that I was probably the bossy one. I didn't really love that. Uh, I especially didn't like hearing that from people I didn't really know, people I didn't trust yet. Back at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had just reminded people not to judge the speck in another person's eye harshly because they probably have a plank in their own eye. And then he says something very important. He's, you hypocrite. It's kind of harsh. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He says, make sure you can see clearly before helping your brother out. Make sure you are healthy before you try to reach out to a friend. Not being judgmental doesn't mean ignoring the pitfalls of people who are close of you close to you. It doesn't mean letting them falter and fail when you can help. It means helping them with grace and love. We are better together. We can make each other better. Sometimes we have the perspective 
to be able to warn someone close to us that they are about to make a huge mistake. Watching your friend make a mistake that you could warn them about isn't acceptance or tolerance. It's indifference. Love lifts up. Love carries each other. Love graciously and lovingly warns and infinitely forgives. There are a few people in my life that I trust to do this for me. Uh, People who have managed the planks in their own eyes and who I have faith and trust in to speak honestly and critically with me. People who make me better. Uh, My wife is one of them, and Doug is another one. One of my best friends, Mike Sotsky, who's a pastor at St. Albert Alliance Church, he is another one. I trust these people, and so when their words are critical and challenging, I know it is done with my best interest at heart. It is because they want the best for me. These people never use guilt or shame or condemnation with me. Instead, they approach me with grace and kindness, and help to lift my eyes upwards towards the good that God has set out for me. And the key here is there is relationship. They are close to me. We have earned trust together. I trust them. And that balance is very difficult to find. But for each of us, finding someone who we trust, that loves us enough to speak God's truth lives. Test. Okay, we're back. Sorry. Uh, is very important. Finding someone you trust to have that critical eye for you is incredibly important. And after saying these things about judgment, Jesus adds one small caveat, and it's kind of weird, uh, but just track with it for a second. He says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Sometimes people are going to judge you harshly. Don't give them the satisfaction of a response. Sometimes you're going to try to help someone close to you avoid a huge mistake and they won't listen. Don't let them drag you down. And especially, don't waste your words on people who you don't know or who you are not in relationship with. We don't need to run around correcting and fixing people we don't know and who we aren't in relationship with. That means you don't have to comment on Facebook on every post you disagree with. You don't know how freeing that is to see something you disagree with and just ignore it. Guys, like it or not, the church has been labeled as judgmental. It's a very common uh, assessment of the church. Many people assume Christians are hypocrites because too many of us have preached love but practiced condemnation. If we have any chance at changing that label, I think the key lies in these six verses we've looked at. Do not judge. Instead, lift up, restore, give life, and carry each other. And this morning, if you are here today and you have been part of that group of people who have been targeted by judgment, by a church, by a Christian, I want you to know uh, that I am truly sorry. I am sorry that you have been forced to feel guilt and shame. And I'm sorry that someone spoke condemnation over you instead of life. That you were put into a box and made to feel less than. It is not supposed to be that way. 
John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was step and step with Jesus for his whole ministry. And he maybe knew Jesus better than anyone. He saw the way Jesus would bend down to the level of the sick and broken, treating them with dignity while others would step over them. When a woman caught in adultery was dragged before Jesus by an angry mob, John was there to see the compassion in his eyes when he told her he did not condemn her. John was there to see Jesus who, when he was sitting in the homes of sinners and society's outcasts, the drunks and the gluttons, and he was there to see Jesus treat those people with respect like they were people. John saw that Jesus stood for the ideal but did not run from the real. John was there to see Jesus practice what he preached. And so years later, when John would sit down to write down an account of the life of Jesus, everything he had witnessed, he summarized it all in some of the most famous written words in all of history. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's so good that most people stop there, but it's the next verse, the next statement John makes that I really love. He goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Not to condemn, but to save. Not death, but life. Not fear, but hope. If people knew that, that Jesus came not to condemn, that we do not come to condemn and to judge. If people just knew that, they wouldn't joke about bursting into flames at the front door. If people knew that, they wouldn't avoid exploring their faith out of fear of condemnation. If people knew that, we wouldn't be known for our judgment. We'd be known for our love. Let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, I thank you this morning that we can come to this place so we can spend time focusing on you and worshiping you and lifting you up through song. And I thank you that we can look at your words, the words of Jesus, and that you tell us not to condemn, that you tell us not to judge. Father God, teach us what that means. Help us to relate, replace condemnation in our lives with love. Help us to become known as a group of people who take care of each other, who love each other, who are soaked in grace and patience and acceptance and tolerance. Jesus, help the perception of this place in us become that of a people who love each other. And by that, they will know that we are your followers. I pray this in your holiest of names. Amen.